I think I can sum up the show for you with one word. Nothing. And now, giving you access to the locker rooms and the minds of the independent scene, here are the curtain jerkers of pro wrestling podcasting. Mike Crockett. Actually, I prefer to be called Maestro. And the kingpin, Brian Malonis. He's the win, and nobody beats him. This is the wrestling podcast about nothing on the New Age Insiders Network. Welcome to the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing, episode 52, presented by BDARadio.com. There are so many pro wrestling podcasts out there covering every facet of the business. So we went to BDA Radio and said we had a different idea for a podcast. Everybody's doing something. We'll do nothing. They said, what's wrestling podcast about? We said nothing. And thankfully they said, we think you may have something here. So here we are. My name is Mike Crockett. I'm a longtime independent wrestling referee in the Northeast, currently on an extended hiatus from the ring, and joining me as always is a veteran of the New England Independent Matt Wars, the Irresistible Force, the Immovable Object, the Easter Bunny, Brian Malonis. Well, I'm the Easter Bunny now. I just saw you earlier. I'm here at your home, and you had the uh, kid buying your uh, line of crap about... Uh, can you hear me? You might be able to hear me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> might reach across the table and strike you in the face here in a second. <laughs> well, you know, the Easter Bunny's coming tomorrow. We're recording on Saturday evening. and uh, coming tonight, Mike. Tonight. Comes overnight. Okay. He's like Santa Claus. Yeah, another one. <laughs> but uh, you, got your, you got your mini eggs lined up? I, I do. I have a nice little stash. I might have to make a little run. To you, you said the dry area yeah, around da- here. Dairy, dairy's dry, man. The town of Dairy is dry on mini eggs. So maybe, maybe I, there's one more place. Uh, uh, maybe after we're done recording, after we uh, after we go, go get a nice, delightful bite to eat, maybe I'll stop at uh, CVS see if I can wrangle up some. Yeah. And you don't have any in house? There, there is. I have a couple of little bags. I was able to find some little bags because everyone out there knows Cadbury mini eggs are the the treat of treats. Yes. For not only Easter, but all year round. <laughs> and you buy enough to last the whole year <laughs> round. I try. I try. Uh, okay. Well, today on the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing on the NAI Network, we've got your promo about nothing coming up, and we'll be talking about the lasting effect of ECW on the wrestling world. Plus, our voicemail contest winner will be decided. That is coming up. But first, Brian... Let's talk about the Superstar Shake-Up. <laughs> what did you think about how they pulled it off, about which talents went back and forth? Uh, what were your overall thoughts on the Superstar Shake-Up? I, I thought it was good. I mean, I, they didn't make a big deal out of, like, a uh, whole production out of the actual process of, of it going down, which I, I was okay with. It didn't bother me that guys were just, like, coming out or whatever. So, yeah, they didn't make a production out of it, meaning they really had no explanation for what was going on. <laughs> Some guys were like, someone like Sami Zayn was kind of, oh, can I go to the other side? I'm not sure. And then other guys were kind of just declaring themselves part of the other show. <laughs> it was a very strange, disjointed thing to me. Yeah, it did its job. They wanted to mix up the rosters a little bit. I, shake up. Brian. Excuse me. Shake up the rosters a little bit. So I, I think it accomplished what it, what it needed to. Who won out in the end, Raw or SmackDown? I mean, the Raw is, is heavily stacked, I think, as as usual. In terms of top flight heels, who do they, who do they have over there on Raw? Roman Reigns. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> um, I mean, Braun Strowman. Um, is, 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 he, is he still a heel? 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know after Monday night. Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt's now uh, now over there. Boy, you're making me Miz. really rack my head. The Miz, yeah. You're making really, really making me rack my brain. Samoa Joe. Okay. What about on SmackDown? If we got over there. Kevin Owens, AJ Styles, even though the wrestling AJ, each Style, other. AJ Styles, I think, after he shook hands with Shane McMahon, I think he's I didn't supposed watch Sma- to be a I'm sorry. I, am way, I, am, I, am, I have not yet watched SmackDown this week. So. Yes, they did have a nice handshake in the middle oh. of the ring. Oh, all right. So, and not AJ Styles. I am clearly behind on my material. Yeah, the superstar shakeup is done, and they got. Do you think both titles are going to end up on Raw after this next pay per view? By the way, you're talking about the, the WWE Championship. It's it's Randy Orton versus um, Bray, Bray Wyatt. Wyatt. I think Randy Orton's going to keep it. Then I don't see Brock coming back and going to SmackDown. Maybe they just keep both on Raw, or they at least they have the WWE Championship on Raw until Brock Lesnar shows back up in six months for SummerSlam. Quite uh. six months, but three months. I say that Randy Orton just retains, and they get out of that the easy way. Don't make it difficult on themselves. <laughs> uh, okay, Brian, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about your brand new store on whatamaneuver.net. Yes. yes. I've seen a friend of ours, RJ DeLuise, past guest. Yes. You haven't, you haven't invited him back since. We had him on a f- <laughs> few months ago. Well, he knows how to butter a guy up. I, I, I have a feeling <laughs> that we're going to be uh, having RJ DeLuise on the podcast again very, very soon. So your brand new t-shirt, how would you describe the t-shirt? It's the uh, movable object propaganda t-shirt, Mike. Oh, okay. I haven't seen it on the actual website. <laughs> I think that's what I think that's what name I gave it on the website. But yeah, it was. It's like a, I went for like I wanted like a propaganda poster type uh, thing. And as you state at the beginning of every podcast, I am the irresistible force and the immovable object. So you know, let's declare that. Let's get it on a T-shirt. And you get my good-looking mug on there too. Well, that's one of the drawbacks. But <laughs> what a maneuver dot net. I feel like it's going to be very popular with the ladies because of the dimples, my friend. Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> is, is it, are there dimples on the t-shirt? I didn't, uh... My dimples are always there, buddy. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I can see them right now. Oh, it's, that's nice. <laughs> very pronounced. Yes. So what a maneuver dot net. What is the, what is the cost? Do we want to get into that or do we want to force uh, people to go and look? Da, 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 da. Uh, yeah. Hey, go look at the website. I think it's like, like 22 bucks or something like that. Yeah, and, and, they, and they use like uh, they have the soft t-shirts over there, man. And they have the big boy sizes too. They do have the big boy sizes. So uh, our, me, our, our good buddy RJ, he's a big and tall man, much like myself, and uh, another great fan of uh, of mine, Todd Prost. He went out and, and got his t-shirt as well. Tagged me in it today. Hey, yeah, if you're going out and you're buying this t-shirt or, or whatever, or if you're sporting in, uh, one of my other t-shirts, our good friend John Morse, your best friend, right? Uh, went and met Sasha Banks at an autograph signing this past week, and he was sporting uh, Brian Malone's t-shirt. I'm sure she was very impressed. <laughs> I'm sure she was. I'm sure she was. All right, so the BDA bonus podcast, Brian, this past week, it was the worst WCW gimmicks. Do you think we covered just about everything, or there's just so much? Oh, we, we, we could have done three-part, you know, hour and a half each episode uh, miniseries of, of WCW bad gimmicks, I think. Well, uh, there's so many short-lived ones that some of the people were tweeting at us online. That uh, just so many of these ones that were just they were around for five seconds. So yeah, Randall Keough. If you go back to our Twitter at the WPAN, we retweeted some of his. He just had a huge yeah. list. And I'm not taking anything away from how bad they were. It was just I mean I had no I had no knowledge of a lot of those because they were just so forgettable (laughs) along with uh brutus beefcake didn't the big boss man kind of go through a number of gimmicks and and wcw i remember what is the it's the scene the guardian angel on that list that really spurred it and i feel like he was like the boss right (laughs) 
He's the boss. Springsteen, yeah, he was a Springsteen <laughs> fan. The boss. And then the Guardian Angel. I feel like there was like one or two other things in there as well, besides um, Big Bubba. He was Big Bubba again, and he was Ray Trailer. Um, I feel like there was like another foolish gimmick in there somewhere. I'm trying to think. That's hey, not, if you not remember, tweet at us. If yeah. not, yeah, maybe I'm completely off pace. Exactly. And it's kind of funny how we're like... I mean, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny how we're... Like talking about bad WCW gimmicks for the big boss man. When you actually go and look at it, WWF, he was called the big boss man. It's just something that we're so used to that it's like, oh, that's you know, a good name. Big, No, it's not. It's a terrible name. <laughs> big boss man. But it's WWE just has brutal. a way of selling things, though. And just be like, it's like the big show. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's, what is, does it make any sense, really? No, just they have a way of selling things, and it just kind of becomes, you know, the honky-tonk man. Like, <laughs> stupid, but it just becomes a thing. And yeah, you, you just, just say it enough, it. and there yeah. it is. You, you just accept it, and it's fine. And Big Boss Man, for me, is, is a guy who was probably pretty just underutilized in his career. He was always on, like, the fringe of the main event here and there. I think he came in and worked with Hogan yeah. initially, but never kind of got over the hump. But I think just such a underrated guy I, really? I mean, I, yeah. i've lifted stuff from him for the entirety <laughs> of my uh professional wrestling career so i'm a big fan yeah the big boss man is definitely okay <laughs> big van vader was not my favorite wrestler of all time uh but big boss man might be one of my favorite might might be my favorite big man of all time yeah that's a good pick i no one would uh, dispute that but speaking of the worst wcw gimmicks we did that last thursday on uh, bdaradio.com and every thursday we do it a second podcast it's new unique content exclusively for bda radio we do a different topic every week voted on by our listeners and followers at the wpan on twitter Plus, we do our weekly feedback segment called Merv Griffin Time, and each week we induct another member into the illustrious Heel Laugh Hall of Fame. You can get these BDA bonus episodes plus the first 38 episodes of this podcast on the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing feed on your favorite podcast platform, or you can just visit us over at BDARadio.com. And speaking of t-shirts, Brian, of course... The Curtain Jerker yes. WPAN t-shirt on ProWrestlingTees.com slash New Age Insiders. And, of course, a little later on, we'll be giving away one of those Curtain Jerker t-shirts. You'll be giving away. Well, yes. It's coming out of my <laughs> pocketbook. But uh, the winner of our voicemail contest coming up right here on the Wrestling Podcast about nothing. Well, one thing I want to throw out there, Mike, and uh, it's, we threw it out to our and – th- and I do think um, – we'd like to get everybody who listens to one or the other to get to listen to both. But right now, I think we have to work on that. But one thing that we threw out there a little bit and we talked about, uh, and I'd like to throw out to anybody who just listens to this show, and I, and I implore you, please go listen to the BDA radio episode. But uh, we had talked about how we've covered some things as being like WWE extras, and we've kind of talked about our, our journeys in pro wrestling. But the one thing we've never really, really, really delved into was our experiences of trying to make it. Is that something you out there want to hear? Do you want to hear about that? Do you want to hear about not just our story, uh, our personal stories, but what it's like to for a couple of guys to one being two very different sort of paths because one guy's a referee, one guy's a wrestler. Do people want to hear more about that and our journeys on actually trying to make it and the, and the kind of the craziness that goes on with that? Let us know. If there's enough interest out there, 
maybe we'll do that podcast. Do you want us to relive our deepest <laughs> regrets? <laughs> do you want us to talk about the the rejection, the pain, everything we went through trying to make it in this crazy business? Let do us you want to hear us weep <laughs> like babies? <laughs> Let us know on Twitter at the WPAN. I was going to help play in the background. Glory days. <laughs> they pass you by. Glory days. <laughs> well, you get another shot at it, Brian. You get another shot at it, and good for you, but I'm I'm out of the game. Uh, <laughs> Should have been out of the game years ago, buddy. Oh, my goodness. Uh, it's kind of weird, Brian. Right around now, I think last year, is when we first sat down and recorded the first episodes of the wrestling podcast about nothing. In my kitchen, I think. Yes. Um, it was around April, I think, because we recorded four at once and released the first four uh, in May of 2016. That's correct. So it's been like a year. How you feeling? Feeling pretty good. I, I think the um, I, th- I think the growth of of this has surpassed what I was envisioning in our, in our first year. Um, certainly. Uh, so it's been it's been fun, and we're not ready to kill each other yet. So I feel no. like, I, feel, I feel like we haven't hit our you haven't even hit our groove yet either, Mike. I feel like we. Uh, we got a lot of growing to do. I think those. I think, and I haven't listened back yet. And, I, and I've, uh, I've, 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 I've <laughs> stopped, I, yeah, I've stopped myself from <laughs> listening back because I feel like the early ones would be a tough listen. Because uh, I think we've come a long way, and I think we got a long way to go. But uh, feeling pretty good, happy to, uh, you know, not only still be a part of uh, the BDA Radio family, but have expanded now onto the NAI network. And uh, uh, you know, I think we're doing good things for them as well. Yeah, and if you want to go back and listen to those early episodes, don't tweet us about it, but you can go back in the archives on BDARadio.com, the uh, original wrestling podcast about nothing feed. All the old episodes are there from 1 to 38, and of course, the BDA bonus episodes, so check those out. But speaking of anniversaries, Brian, I saw this week online that last week, April 13th, 1997, was the pay-per-view debut of extreme championship wrestling. It's been 20 years since Barely Legal made its way onto pay-per-view television. Seems like a long time, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't know. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. I don't know. <laughs> if, if, I mean, I wasn't if you're thinking about it. I mean, at least for me, I'm going to make you feel old here, Mike. I like, I like making you feel old, though. Uh-huh. But I was, I was uh, at that point, let's see, April. I was, I was, Jesus, I was a freshman still in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, just about out of college, yeah, I was Brian. Finishing, finishing up my freshman year of, of high school at that point. Wow. My yeah. goodness. Very fresh-faced, uh, still uh, living the uh, delusion that I was going to be a pro baseball player. <laughs> but uh, hey, I was a pretty. Let's good talk about more failed things. Yeah, that, yeah, I was, a, I was a pretty good baseball player and football player, but uh, I don't think I don't think it was in the cards for me to uh, be a professional. So you were <laughs> in that that time that I'm a little jealous of, where you could wear a wrestling shirt to high school and you wouldn't be mocked and the, laughed at. <laughs> the probably like the last like couple years and as a matter of fact, i remember one time wearing a a rock t-shirt it was the one that said laying the smackdown on it right it had the brahma bowl on the front and then like the rock mm-hmm. and and a teacher like you can't wear that shirt here i'm like what do you mean it's wrestling she's like it's about drugs i was like <laughs> no it's a wrestling shirt that's what he says it's his catchphrase and i'd like explain it to her and like somebody else had to like corroborate it so they wouldn't send me home to change my shirt <laughs> maybe that's how he got all that energy 
He's the most electrifying <laughs> man by doing all that smack. My dad was 100... I don't know if I've ever even shared this with you. My father was 100% convinced that The Rock was a drug addict because all of it, like, laying the smack down and, like... <laughs> yeah, he thought they were He thought they were subtle drug references. Rudy Poo was, like, a strain <laughs> of marijuana or something. <laughs> but, he, yeah, he thought because of, like, his name was The Rock and the laying the smack oh, down okay. line. Yeah. I didn't even think of that one. Yeah, he thought he thought it would, they were drug references and, yeah, that was... <laughs> Pops Malonis. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's a... It might be a smooth transition from uh, talking about drugs to, ECW, yeah. to extreme championship wrestling. I never let my father see ECW. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> old, my, old Man Malonis liked him some... Uh, Mike Mills... Mike, Let's put it this way. Mike Mills and Pops Malonis would have been pals because my dad loved... Uh, the old NWA on TBS 605 Saturday Night Show and all that good stuff. My dad was a big, he, he always liked NWA and uh, was a big Ric Flair fan and uh, thought Ric Flair was better than Hulk Hogan. And of course, it was, you know, pure nonsense. So but. if your dad was still here, he'd be listening to Booking the Territory over at the Wrestling Podcast because <laughs> they're talking about the 605 Saturday <laughs> yeah, Show every week. Yes, he'd been very, uh, very excited to, uh, <laughs> to listen to that. No, if my dad were still alive, he would think uh, somehow just because we have this podcast that people listen to that we are just like these mega stars out there so <laughs> well we are right in, 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 my, in my dad in my dad's eyes uh the day i stepped foot to, to, into the independence for the first time i I'm, i was on par with uh the likes of Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock and them. So we were at least on par with Tony Atlas. We were wrestling him really like, early on. He did like me better when I was fatter. So. <laughs> so yeah, the Extreme Championship Wrestling pay per view, barely legal, of course, twenty years ago last week. It was not on all cable systems. It was only on Request TV because Viewers Choice, which later became In Demand found out about the mass transit incident. Oh, boy. They received a tape believed to be from the Pro Wrestling Torch and Wade Keller, um, Mike Mills' buddy over there. They sent a tape in looking for comment from Viewer's Choice, and Viewer's Choice saw the tape and said, this is... Oh my God! What a shitty move! <laughs> <laughs> what a like a what a dirtbag move! <laughs> but but they they said um oh, well we were just looking for comment on it we're not <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, what a dirtbag move but uh, viewers choice yeah bowed out of carrying the pay per view and they were just on request also they moved the start time from seven p.m. to nine p.m. so it didn't start till nine p.m. on April thirteenth. And I remember I had to go up, I, I watched it at uh, Tony Roy's house in Nashua, New Hampshire, because I didn't have it on my cable system. Uh, my friends like Steve King and John Rodeo, they didn't have it on their cable systems. They all had uh, Viewer's Choice. So we, had, we all piled into a car, headed up to Nashua to our friend uh, and mentor in wrestling, Tony Roy. And we all got together and watched ECW up there. Mike, I, I, uh, I started to watch a little bit today, and this was the first I'd ever seen of this pay-per-view. Really? You never saw Barely Legal? No, the only footage I've ever seen from Barely Legal was from Beyond the Mat. <laughs> <laughs> I was I self self-admitted and, and so my contributions to this will be what my kind of take on what the contributions of ECW to the wrestling business have been because uh, other than going to a few shows and and watching the product a little here and there, I was not the biggest ECW fan in the world. 
Yeah, we actually talked about this a while back uh, with a friend of ours, Eric Arsenault, who, if you heard a few months ago, uh, it was February, he passed away. Uh, but he was always big on board. He said he wanted to come in and talk with us about ECW. And it would have been great to have him here to kind of uh, bounce the stuff off of because he was like an ECW super fan. He was at all the uh, you know Revere Wonderland shows. He actually got the Mass Transit uh, VHS tape because because they they he heard about it and it was on sale for a very short period of time like monday morning i think he said he called up and got the mass transit tape from rob feinstein before they shut it down and said no we're not letting this tape out there because this is going to be like a lawsuit oh so he actually he actually had the tape of it yes oh goodness yeah so he was like one of the few they actually sent the tape to before the guys at ecw said don't send this freaking thing out this is gonna be uh, you know this is gonna cost us a lot of money but he did actually get that get that tape and he was like a huge ecw fan and he really wanted to come on at some point and talk with us about ecw would have been great to have him here but we will soldier through and give our take on ecw and uh i'm sure he'll give us a big stink nose uh from (laughs) from wherever he is (laughs) we'll do our best we'll do our best mucko uh actually before even barely legal came to be I made the pilgrimage down to the ECW arena pretty early on, Brian. Goodness. Yes. It was in 1994. I actually first heard about ECW when I started getting the dirt sheets. <laughs> of course. What what dirt sheet did you subscribe to, by the way? Uh, Were you I, a Meltzer guy? Yeah. I, I subscribed to the uh, Wrestling Observer Newsletter, I think starting in 92. Do you still have them all? Mm, maybe somewhere in my parents' <laughs> attic. I have some of them with me, but there's a lot probably just kind of hanging around my parents' house. They haven't just dumped them all. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I got some of the torch. I didn't really like the torch that much. It was more like TV reviews and actual news. Uh, nothing against uh, Mike Mills' boy there. Well, you're Wade all Keller. over Wade Keller on this episode, Mike. <laughs> 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 Apparently, Wade Keller pissed in your Cheerios this morning. <laughs> now Mike Mills is on your side. Uh, <laughs> and also, uh, the Figure Four newsletter, which is uh, Brian Alvarez, who now works with Dave Meltzer. I, I subscribed to that for a while, too. But yeah, when I started getting the Observer, um, you know, they talk about ECW it was Eastern Championship Wrestling, and it was kind of building up a following. It had TV in Philadelphia. And it was building up and building up. And my friend John Rodeo was looking anywhere to get work. Uh, he was a pro wrestling manager. And he made contact with, I think, Todd Gordon at ECW. This is kind of, I mean, it's kind of John's story to tell. Hopefully, we can have him on someday to actually talk about it. But I'll kind of give my perspective because I ended up going down with him. But he was invited to their show, February 5th, 1994. It turned out to be a pretty famous show in ECW's history called The Night the Line Was Crossed. And this is kind of a big breakout show for ECW. Is, that the, is that the night Kimono Wanalea danced, danced atop the, the ECW? No, it was not. Oh, too bad. Yes, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a shame. But it was the night they did a three-way dance with Terry Funk versus Sabu versus Shane Douglas. And they were famous for their uh, triple threat matches, which they called the three-way dance, kind of actually the predecessor to the triple threat match. They were one of, if not the original people in the United States to do these three-way matches that are so prevalent today. Um, I had one this past week. (laughs) Yes, you did. Last week. It was you and Ace Romero and... Warbeard Hansen, yes, the IWGP was. heavyweight tag team champion, one half the IWGP heavyweight tag team champion. Yes, it was. 
And uh, you're Thanks, doing CCW. <laughs> That's the reason my friggin' shoulder hurts. <laughs> <laughs> those those uh, three-way hoss fights really oh. uh, leave you worse for wear, Brian. Certainly do. Uh, so we traveled down by bus. May I just say this to the night the line was crossed, and we got there. There's a line outside already at the cross street of Swanson and Rittner. That that neighborhood is rough. <laughs> it is, and we got into a cab. We got there into the. Uh, the bus terminal, and we hailed the cab, and we said, ECW Arena, please. And the guy's like, what the hell's the ECW Arena? <laughs> <laughs> the hell are you talking about? We were under the impression that, I mean, that was the name of the building. They called it the ECW Arena. But I guess also it was called Viking Hall is another name for it. If we had said that, maybe he'd know, but he had no idea. And he kind of, uh, I think he called someone to get the actual idea where the hell he was going <laughs> and he, he got us to the corner of uh, Swanson and Rittner streets uh, where the ECW arena was we got there John just knocked on the door and someone opened it and said yeah, I'm here you know to speak to uh Paulie, and he went in. I stayed out in the line, <laughs> so I think I had to pay to get in there. It's like the story of your life. This is like the third <laughs> time on this podcast you've talked about going to a wrestling show with somebody. They get in for free, and you paid. That is literally the third time, I think. Uh, you, yes, you may be right, but it was a crazy night. I remember this match, the triple threat match. Uh, I remember being legitimately frightened of Terry Funk. <laughs> because he went because he's middle-aged and crazy he went screaming through the crowd at one point and i was on the bleachers and he was just like jumping up running up the bleachers and i jumped and and ran to the other side of the building <laughs> it, it, it was like that thing that they say like you know i can't make them believe that wrestling is real but I can make them believe that I'm real. I thought this guy was a nut. <laughs> he, he, he completely had me believing. He was a crazy man. But uh, it was a very interesting night. So we left there kind so where, of. Where was John during the whole night? Just backstage? I think he was with me, if I recall. I think he, he talked to somebody beforehand, and they kind of gave him the runaround. Then he came and sat with me, and then we waited around afterwards, and nothing really happened. So it was kind of a, a failed mission in terms of <laughs> John getting to speak with somebody in charge. But uh, from there, we went back to the bus station, and since we had waited around, and then we went to find something to eat, by the time we get to the bus station, we found out there were no more buses that night. <laughs> so we sat lonely on the cold floor of the bus terminal <laughs> in philly and waited yes, in philadelphia pennsylvania and waited till the next morning how old are you at this point so is 94 so i'm 19 okay so you're out of high school at this point yeah, yeah. Oh, okay yeah, um, it was fe yeah February. So yeah, I think I would be scared that at thirty five right now. I think I'd be scared <laughs> to death to spend the night at a Philadelphia bus station. <laughs> but that's where we were, and that's that's how it went. The ECW arena, the atmosphere is just nuts. Like I mentioned, just running for my life with uh, Terry Funk. This the it predominantly male. May I say shocking? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of crazy uh, young mid-twenties fellas. Lots of virgins, including yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that may or may not be true. <laughs> but that was my first experience, really, with ECW. What about you? Did you have experience before Barely Legal, or was it afterwards when they came around here? 
Uh, I I gotta tell you, I don't. I mean, I remember the the first show I went to. Boy, it's probably around ninety six, ninety seven, somewhere in that juncture. Um, and they came to uh, the JFK Arena in Manchester, New Hampshire, and the tickets I got were free. Uh, because uh, my buddy Jesus Christ, <laughs> I go to Philadelphia. I can't get in for free. <laughs> um, my buddy Cleon uh, was training with Kowalski's, so Walter and then his students were invited to come. And then there was like some comp tickets that Cleon okay. um, lived with a, a for another friend of ours, mom. It's interesting situation. It's, it's a whole different story that will never be told in this podcast. Um, <laughs> But just the relevance is she was basically his mom, so she got a couple of tickets too, and so it was it was me, her, and uh, friend of Faye, right? Um, and so the only real thing I remember from the it, it, I, I I'm almost positive it was RVD versus Taz, and the only other thing I remember is the Dudley Boys, and they and I, it's it's the only thing I vividly remember from the night. I mean, I was in high school or whatever, so I wasn't like a kid, you know. Yeah. It just was forgettable night, largely, except for Bubba Ray Dudley. There's some kid there, like, I don't know, probably eight, nine years old in the front row, and Bubba Ray Dudley basically just tells the kid, like, <laughs> the kid's giving him shit or whatever, and he just looks at the kid, yeah, well, I had fun fucking your mother last night. <laughs> on the microphone. On the microphone. And I was just like, what? What is this? I'm pretty sure they were. The, I'm, I'm almost positive they were the opening match too. Like it was. I was like, "What the hell?" They get the crowd this? up. Yeah, uh, just, just. So that was my first going to ECW. I'm sure I had seen it here and there, but it was just not. It was not my thing. It was not my cup of tea. It wasn't your bag, baby? <laughs> yeah. And, and I think I've said on here before when it comes to and I, and I would watch some WCW even, but when it came to WWE, I I, tr- I almost treated it like. Like like your favorite sports team type of thing. Like WWF was that's <laughs> they were like my favorite. You know they were like the way I love like the Steelers or the Red Sox or something. And the, everything else was inferior to them. You right. Know? So yeah, that was that was that was my first experience with it. And I just thought it was I, I didn't know what the hell to make of it. To me, it was bizarre. It turned you off. I don't know if it turned me off. I just didn't. I was so like unexpected. Like I'd never heard that on a wrestling show before right you know i mean just clear as day telling this eight-year-old kid he after his mom like i was just whoa what is what is this i did i i did like rvd coming out of this though like mm-hmm. seeing him live and I, I distinctly remember that liking rvd but yeah it was i don't know it was a weird thing man especially at this era of wwe wwe had only started to get into some of the more graphic stuff i think at this point so my bread and butter was the Hulk Hogan era, followed by the the really you know cartoonish early '90s era of WWE. So in my in my brain, that is the image of pro wrestling that I grew up with, and that was for, my brain was formed around. And then just to come to something like that, that was just so not like anything I'd ever seen. I I, just, I didn't know what the hell to think of it. And we'll get into the influence of ECW on uh, your. <laughs> Your home promotion, Brian, your home team of the WWE uh, a little <laughs> yeah. later. The first show in New England that ECW had was at a place called, I believe it's called Strike One in Burlington, Massachusetts. And I was there with uh, my friends, John and Steve, and a bunch of people. 
Duke Stalton was there as well. Um, Dukes is someone that we're going to have on the podcast, I think, really soon to talk about his experiences in the wrestling business. He's a former NWA World Tag Team Champion, he let's just say. Is. And he was there with uh, another friend of his. Uh, I guess uh, I don't think I'll name him, but they were uh, a little rowdy at the show. They had a, c- a couple of drinks, I think, and they, they were they, they, this. The crowd was just nuts. <laughs> it's just nothing like you've ever seen before if you went to uh, ECW events. I remember so- someone in the crowd had the porno magazine with Beulah McGillicuddy in it <laughs> and was like passing it around. <laughs> it's just a, a whole thing. <laughs> it, it was a crazy night. Hopefully, you can talk to Dukes about that when he comes on ver- really shortly. But uh, yeah, ECW was just unlike anything anyone had ever seen before and it did so much to kind of change uh wrestling in the late 1990s barely legal brian was in 1997 as we've said you said you watched you watched uh, most the, of this yeah i watched like, the first like four matches of it i ended well, what the hell was the last match i, I just watched I don't was it the michinoku pro uh the, I, I the start, shane douglas and pitbull the, what was the match right after the michinoku pro one shane douglas and the pitbull i, I didn't two. see that one so the last thing i saw was the stevie richards promo okay so they started out the night with the Dudleys, as you said. Then the first time you saw ECW live, they started out with the Dudleys yeah. coming out and running people down. Yeah, just come out and get, get heat. And- right. And then the Eliminators come out. And this is kind of like a stunt show, this first match. Just kind of... Yeah, there's no tag format. Just big spot, big spot, big spot, big spot. Which was kind of a staple of ECW in certain, <laughs> at certain points in time. Um, what did you think overall about the wrestling in ECW, I mean, you had it was such like a mix. I mean, obviously they're known for the hardcore stuff, but obviously there were some very good wrestlers that that came through there. In that particular match, I to me the guy that stood out the most was Cronus. Like he stood out the most, even over Perry Saturn or the Dudley Boys. Yeah, he was always. I mean, I was around him very early on, Brian. He's of course a Killer Kowalski guy, as was Saturn. And Sa- sadly, I was around Cronus uh, around the end of his life. Um, really? Yeah, I was working um, for this vendor doing resets in Shaw's supermarkets, and one of the stores on our route was Tilton, New Hampshire. So I had already started training at that point. So To um, be a wrestler. Yeah, to be a wrestler. And somebody said, oh, there's another wrestler that works here. And uh, yeah, he was like the janitor or whatever, and they introduced me to him, and I had no clue. Again, because I, again, I wasn't a UGCW fan, so... He's like, oh, you, you you wrestle, where do you train? I told him, Chaotic. And he goes, oh, I used to wrestle for Chaotic. And I don't know, you just hear that crap so much. I'm like, oh, yeah. And you didn't you didn't know Cronus? No, I had no clue who he was. So he goes, you ever heard of the Eliminators in ECW? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I think so. And he goes, I, I was Cronus. I teamed with Saturn. And I was like, and I was just giving him like that, oh, yeah, sure you were. Like, you know, like I, I had no freaking clue. And then. We'd gone up, we, you know, it was every two weeks we'd go up there, and, and then he started, like, sitting with me every time I went up there, and, and we'd talk, and I started to kind of put two together, like, oh, I think he really is, like, who he says he is, and then he brought in some pictures, and so, I, I, I mean, for a couple months, at least, uh, for, like, maybe five, six months, every every two weeks, I'd spend my lunch breaks with him, just shooting the shit about wrestling or whatever, and uh, it wasn't too long after that, he, he passed away at his sister's house in Tilton, New Hampshire. Yeah. So uh, obviously a very tragic, you know, ending to his life. Um, but just kind of like one of those weird freaking things of, you know, working in Tilton, New Hampshire, which is anybody listening to this podcast, unless you're from Tilton, New Hampshire, you've probably never heard of Tilton, New Hampshire. <laughs> like you pass through it on your way to like Laconia, up going up to 
the lakes region to go to like Fun Spot and Where's Beach and all that stuff. And Lake Winnipeg, uh, yeah, Lake Winnipeg. So just working up there and yeah, being around John Cronus. Uh, so random, just completely random. Yeah, he's a, a very good guy from everything I understand about him. He was great. I, I really enjoyed it. Like, once I figured out like he wasn't just some idiot who was just making crap up you know right. like <laughs> you know and, and he was very fat <laughs> like he was he had obviously put on quite a bit of weight since you know his wrestling days or whatever so that was also part of like the yeah sure you were buddy <laughs> like, well he had some beef on him when he first started and then he really i think that show barely legal was like his peak in terms of his himself physically he had really got himself because he was always wearing cigarettes and stuff like that but he was yeah by the time barely legal came around he was in the trunks looking absolutely tremendous and of course as you said so acrobatic and flipping around and doing a flying space tiger drop to the floor yeah he was i mean he i mean they put they styles put over on a thing he weighed like 260 pounds or something and the stuff he was doing was i mean he was the most athletic man in the match by by a mile that's including saturn Right, definitely. And speaking of like athletic matches, how about the Michinoku Pro six man match? That uh, it's just nonsense. <laughs> it, it, I remember like uh, the Michinoku Pro guys first came over to the U.S. and did a loop around New England. I believe Sheldon Goldberg had something to do with it. He was kind of the liaison between uh, Michinoku Pro and bringing them over to the U.S. originally and got them into ECW. But I remember just watching these matches for the first time and just having so much fun. Um, was, is this Taka Mishinoku post-WWE? Or no, I believe it's pre. Yeah, this is, the, this is their introduction to... I'm horrible with timelines. <laughs> yeah, me too. But the, I, this is their introduction to the U.S. And Why are they part of the BWO? This was, that was just something that was thrown on them that day, I think. It was like, you know, because they had the NWO, had a Japanese contingent, so oh. why not give the BWO a Japanese contingent? Okay. I think it was just a way to tie them into ECW, too, to get the, you know, the people behind them if they weren't really gotcha. aware of what was going on. But the biggest disappointment of that match on Bailey Legal was that Gran Naniwa was injured and ended up being taken out of the match because when he was on that loop in New England... Grant Naniwa was, uh, his gimmick was that he was a crab. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and he did this crab walk where he would stand on the middle rope on the inside. And I'll do it for you live here, Brian. He walk across the rope and do this. <laughs> like a little crab walk along the, uh, okay, okay, along the middle rope. And then he'd jump off and like hit an elbow or something like that. But it was. I don't know. Me and my friends, we loved Grananiwa. And it was just a huge disappointment. I think it took this match down a couple notches uh, on Barely Legal. The fact that there was that green elfin fella who ended up being a part of the match rather than Grananiwa. <laughs> sure, <But>, sure, buddy. <laughs> and uh, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the referee in this match, who is uh, Ted Tanabe. And the best, I always loved him when we watched him at the shows when he came around. He would do the one, two, and when the guys would kick out, he kind of roll. He, he had like a little a belly on him, and he'd do one, two, and then kind of roll on his belly. <laughs> it was like the best. It was the best thing. I loved. Uh, I loved Ted Tanabe. Well, you really did watch the referees closely, didn't you? I did. <laughs> I did. And let's get into the ECW referees. Um, just absolutely powerless <laughs> they really had casual observers not, <laughs> they really had nothing to do i mean it's it's not their fault this is kind of what 
extreme championship wrestling became there to count to three <laughs> they basically were there to count to three and i didn't like the way they counted either it was just really fast like there was no drama no drama in the one two kick out it was always like oh goes to the cover <laughs> really fast and like there's no room to breathe <laughs> I mean, it's it's not their fault, Jim Molyneux and uh, those guys. It's not really their fault, but I just not a good look for uh, if you want to be a referee to be a member of the ECW referee contingent. So you at didn't this want time. you didn't want to be uh, part of it. No, and this is actually before I was a referee when I when I was around there. It was the, that period where I was around my friends who were in the wrestling business, but I was not in the wrestling business, so I was just kind of uh, the creepy kid who followed around the two guys that were in the business. <laughs> like, I would go to these ECW shows with uh, John and Steve, as I've mentioned, and we'd go in early and just kind of hang out, and I'd just kind of be there, and they'd talk to people a little bit, but I'd just kind of, like, sit there, and we'd sit, like, in the VIP area. I don't mean to brag, Brian. So were you at that show I was at, the JFK one? No, I didn't. we didn't go to New Hampshire. I mean, come on. That's New Hampshire. We stuck around Massachusetts. Come on. <laughs> where the big boys play, Massachusetts. Yeah. So we, I remember one time we were at the Waltham, uh, the IBEW Hall, which is a beautiful building for professional wrestling and it had um a balcony all around i don't know if it was a balcony you'd say or bleachers all around but it was a, a really nice looking setup i believe they did icw tv tapings back there in the day i know if mark douglas adult is listening he could probably get the uh 411 on that if he uh wants to message me at some point and let me know <laughs> but it was a, a tremendous building and there was a stage and you know We'd set up on the stage and watch the show. Wow. Yeah. Cause Excuse with the, me. I remember once, New Jack, another one of those guys who I wasn't really around at all, but uh, always a little weary just because Let, me, let was, me guess, Mike. You were afraid of him. You were afraid of another wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and he'd do these things that would just make you uncomfortable because remember one time like the mass transit incident <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess you could say minor discomfort <laughs> that show i was not at i was at every other not every other but i was at a, a lot of the revere wonderland shows but that one i didn't make it to uh my friends were there i was not i heard after the fact what a what a disaster scene it was but i, I, I can picture you with after that going on just being Normally, we'd say, like, oh, historic thing. The person would be beside themselves that they missed it. You were probably so relieved that you weren't there for this incident. Because I, I would just, I could just, I could just, I could just see you if you were there, just like screeching and then like, like arms folded, probably so tightly with your fingers under your armpits, just so uncomfortable. Oh my God. They're going to call me to the stand. Oh my God. I hear I'm a witness. Yeah. I, I, I was kind of happy that I wasn't a part of that. Yes, maybe. Uh, but speaking of like New Jack, I remember one time we were sitting on the stage in Waltham and he just like, he comes up and he's by us and he yells out, Hey, anyone got any heroin? <laughs> of course you said of course i do i think we all ignored it but I, I don't think he was actually asking us if we had heroin i think he was just trying to make us uncomfortable and uh you know mission accomplished big guy <laughs> think much with you though to be fair <laughs> well he did he, he certainly did his job i think all of us were kind of like what are we supposed to say to this <laughs> it's just a, a weird moment 
that uh, sticks in my head from, you know, 20 something years ago. <laughs> New Jack is a character, I would say, in and out of the ring. What would you say about the characters in ECW? Well, I mean, they were, I mean, that was, I guess that was the whole thing with ECW, right? It was taking these guys who was like the land of misfit toys and they, they weren't body guys or they weren't necessarily great wrestlers or, but they had some sort of intangible about them that um, they could exploit and, and market. And I mean, I don't think anybody would confuse the Sandman for a great wrestler, but he had something about him with that entrance when he came out with the cigarette and the Singapore cane and the beer can, you know, uh, Tommy Dreamer uh, is another one. Um, again, I don't think Tommy Dreamer's a a great wrestler. I, I was just, I don't know. I, I, I gotta be honest. What's the appeal of Tommy Dreamer? Oh, Tarzan boy. Taylor. <laughs> oh no. I'm kidding. There's I'm a long kidding. history between you and uh, Tommy Dreamer, <laughs> not only on this podcast, but in life. I'm kidding. I like Tommy Dreamer. He's hardcore. He certainly is. He took both. <laughs> what about and Taz? Who else besides Paul Heyman could have gotten over this guy who's probably Five six, five seven, five eight. You know, and and made I'm not, you I'm believe. Not, I'm not going to say too much about Taz because I heard one of our good friends has a lot of heat with Taz over some comments. So. Really? <laughs> yes. I'll tell you about it after. <laughs> oh, okay. But he was, you know, he's not a tall fella, and he they made you believe that he was the baddest man in professional wrestling in ECW. Yeah, and then you had—I mean—you had Stevie Richards with the and, and the Blue Meanie and Nova with the with the PWO, and they did so many different like yeah, they did they were Kiss, they were uh, you know Lord Stevie and all this other. It was kind of like the original parody gimmick kind of guys. The um, the Public Enemy again to see you know, another another act that was enormous with ECW, but went elsewhere and just you know yeah, they knew how to do it in ECW. Paul and Heyman knew how to hide what those guys were. Yeah, but when they went in WWF and WCW, it all kind of fell apart. I mean, Mikey Whipwreck, you can throw throw him on there. The, his character and the way they built him with winning the world championship without ever even getting an offensive maneuver <laughs> in. Like, I mean, just the, the writing and the character development and, and the way they built things was, was genius. Yeah, it was and- absolutely genius, and it's almost like a shame that it was all uh, that the thing that they kind of get remembered for is just the obviously the extreme wrestling, the extreme violence, uh, and and that sort of thing. But the storytelling really is should be the probably the legacy of, of ECW. Yeah, what I went to ECW for was the characters and the promos. That was the bread and butter for me. I mean, I was never big into the wrestling, especially the hardcore stuff. But to me, what kept me coming back was the characters, the promos, guys like Raven, uh, guys like the Playboy's buddy Shane Douglas, um, (laughs) a heel laugh Hall of Famer, if I may say. That stuff, the promos, that's what kept me coming back. That's what ECW, of course, you know, Paul Heyman behind the scenes pulling the strings, probably giving a lot of these guys if not, you know, bullet points line by line to get these guys. Not just, I mean, not just you know, you, you think of like the ECW originals or whatever, but the guys whose careers they helped relaunch, uh, just take two uh, Cactus Jack after his WCW stint. Mm-hmm. Um, he went there, very successful, and that helped propel him to WWE and obviously to a, a great and long successful career in WWE. Steve Austin, uh, injured, couldn't wrestle. They paid him to come down and cut promos and then... That led to him getting a job with WWE, and Jesus, the rest is history with him. Yeah. Um, even guys who were already 
established guys who are on TV for many, many years. He took help reinvent, tweak, work with, and get them jobs with WWE and, and launch their Hall of Fame careers. Yeah, the legacy to me of ECW is just the the characters that came out. The, this this ragtag, as you mentioned, group of guys that couldn't get a job anywhere else. They gave them great characters. They put them in great positions, and they made something of themselves. And they ended up all getting jobs in WWF and WCW out of this. It was kind of genius. Of course, a lot of those guys didn't really last. There were some like Rob Van Dam who went on to do great things in the bigger companies. But um, when it comes to maybe the drawbacks of an ECW, all the shots to the head, all of the brutal chair shots from guys like Balls Mahoney and Axel Rotten, two guys who obviously are no longer with us. I don't know if it started there in ECW, the shots to the head, but I mean, it was certainly very prominent there in ECW. I, I mean, I think it could be argued that ECW really helped kind of push along the whole backyard wrestling movement that happened right around the same time because of all the hardcore stuff. And I think that leads to idiot kids like myself just saying, I can go hit each other. We can just go hit each other over the... You did that? Yeah, I did some backyard wrestling back in the day. <laughs> I mean, Hitting each other in the head with chairs and stuff? Not chairs. Uh, we were just cookie cookie sheets. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's fine then. But uh, yeah, I mean, the physical toll on these guys' bodies and... Uh, I mean, of course, you hear some of the stories now and the, and the list of guys who are in ECW who are now either passed or they or they have some sort of tragic story about them going on with their life. Um, Painkillers, drugs. Yeah. Um, this the, this business takes a toll. You see, uh, you see a guy like Hulk Hogan, who everybody talks about how Hulk Hogan, you know, can't wrestle his way out of a wet paper bag, was all character, was all this and that. Well, Hulk Hogan's walking around like on like a fake knee and a fake hip. So yeah. there's a guy who didn't, you know, who minimized the sort of things he was doing in the ring, and, and he's a physical mess. Now, take these guys like a Sabu, a Van Dam, a Taz, you know, the uh, you know, Balls Mahoney, and all these guys who are just taking these crazy bumps on the floor, through tables, off ladders, chair shots to the head, just repeatedly, and just you know. So now think about again the physical toll that Hulk Hogan style took on him. And now think of the toll, the physical toll that the style of ECW did to the guys in that locker room. And it wasn't just that locker room because the influence of ECW was felt, I mean, I, I think the Attitude Era is basically a direct result of what was going on in ECW. Yeah, there because there was a groundswell. And I mean, you wonder what, what ECW could have been had they had real financial backing. I don't know that they ever would have been to the level of WWE just because it's hard to sell advertising with some of the stuff that, that, they, that they were doing. And ultimately, you do have to sell some advertising to stay afloat. Um, but if they had real financial backing, you wonder you know, how far they could, have, they could have really taken it. I mean, I hate to say it, but I kind of blame ECW for what happened to wrestling in the, <laughs> in the late 90s, early 2000s. I didn't like what wrestling became in the attitude there. I'm with Brian Fury. I mean, but ECW, aside from like the hardcore stuff, the other thing they kind of brought into the forefront, I think, in the United States was the Japanese style of wrestling mm-hmm. with some of the guys they brought over or, or the Mexican size, some of the Mexican influence in wrestling. Uh, the first times you're seeing guys like Chris Jericho, Dean Malenko, uh, Eddie Guerrero. I mean, help me out here. The list goes... Benoit. Yeah, Benoit. The list goes on and on. These guys who are making names for themselves in other countries coming here and kind of bringing that style here with them, too. So 
I think along with the hardcore stuff, there becomes that style of wrestling. Um, and yeah, because it, it's just big spot, big spot, big spot, big spot, big spot. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, when it comes down to it, the, I mean, I talked about the legacy of ECW being the characters. I think maybe the legacy of ECW was that overall it was a bad thing for the business. I hate to, <laughs> I hate to say it, but I mean, they there was some great stuff in ECW, but I think overall it's a net negative for what the business became in the late 90s and the number of guys who ended their careers early the number of guys who passed away it just uh is a lot that i and i think like i said the ecw influence was so deeply felt in the wrestling business and i think that's to blame for a lot of the people going down the bad roads the people that passed away the people that had drug problems the people that's careers were drastically shortened i think i think ecw is mostly to blame for that and i and that's sucks to say especially for those people that love ecw but i just really didn't like what wrestling became at that time well the actual wrestling of ecw again i think that was the biggest part for me why i was never turned on to it because i just I don't know. It was not my thing. I mean, WWE never fully became what ECW. I mean, they did some of the hardcore stuff. You know, the hardcore. Yeah, we we talk about we watch WrestleMania 2000, yeah. that hardcore <laughs> battle royal. That was absolute garbage, and that was kind of a direct result of what went on in ECW. <laughs> that's that's what they thought ECW was, and they are trying to basically copy what ecw was but some of the you know um risque stuff they did i mean that was obviously influenced that ecw was presenting a more mature product and obviously that was a direct result of you know seeing things that ecw was doing yeah austin didn't tell anybody that he fucked their mother but he came close with you know (laughs) certain gestures and certain things that they said and dx and all that stuff yeah and that's the difference between a company who's on national television and has to answer to sponsors and whatnot and they still went pretty far it's funny, you you gave me crap for shutting off the ECW pay-per-view, but the reason I shut it off is because my wife and my daughter came <laughs> home, and uh, I was like, two, two times, uh, they went to dance this morning, and I was watching it, and my daughter is uh, five years old, and uh, they came home, and I was like, well, I certainly can't watch ECW in front of right. my five-year-old, and then I was watching a little more, and uh, she came home with the kids, and uh, you know, my carried my daughter in, I thought she was going to stay asleep, and she didn't, and... Uh, we shut that off and put on the BFG, the big fucking giant. <laughs> I think that's what it is, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> the, and the funny thing about that, at that time, that the majority of wrestling fans were teenagers, early 20s, and that's the people that were watching that. And the people watching today, where it is geared supposedly to children, 40-year-old people. That is the median <laughs> age. Like, the age I am now is basically the median age for who is watching it's WWE the, right now. The people that complain about the PG era, I, I mean, let me know. Those of you out there, and I'm sure there's somebody that listen to this podcast, do you want wrestling going back to Shawn Michaels making fun of a fan on live television simulating a blowjob? <laughs> 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 do you, you know? Do you want some of the all the? Do you want all the sexual innuendo stuff back for all the things you're talking about? Like, you know, is that the thing missing from wrestling these days? Like, I think wrestling's pretty damn good these days. Yeah, I I think so too. But is that like all the things that people complain about? Like, oh, the PG era, the PG era, blah, 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 the PG era. Like, do you think would things be markedly better if somebody was coming out and? making dick jokes <laughs> you know what i mean like i don't know like yeah i, I think that 
we're in a pretty good place right now. Mike Mills might disagree, but I think, I mean, especially the in-ring product well, is the best it's ever been. That's, here's the thing. If you don't like WWE, there's no excuse. If you don't, like, boy, you're going to get me on a freaking rant here, Uh-oh. Mike. <laughs> but the people who don't like WWE are the ones who watch it the most. Like, clearly, in order for you <laughs> it's to... It's like the Howard Stern thing? Yeah, the, 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 clearly for you to piss and moan about it that much, you are clearly watching it, and you're watching it intently. But there's no excuse to. If you don't like it, turn it off. There are a million and one alternatives for pro wrestling to watch. With the advent of, although YouTube is kind of have like a war against pro wrestling right now. but Yes. But with YouTube and all these streaming channels, High Spots has a streaming network. Uh, there's like another one that's on like Roku. Beyond Wrestling has their, their streaming service. Beyond Demand. Yeah. Ring of Honor has, has an online service. You can go back and, and watch everything they do. Uh, you got the Fight TV app, which has numerous promotions, including uh, where we started, Chaotic Wrestling. Uh, XWA, a promotion in, in New England, has... I mean, there, there, there is... New Japan has a streaming service. There's pro wrestling out there. If you don't like WWE, don't watch it. There's plenty of wrestling out there. And there's plenty of good wrestling out there. Yes. Not to say WWE is not good, but if you don't like it, watch something else. There's plenty of it out there. It is a damn good time in wrestling. <laughs> and, I mean, we're talking about ECW here. It closed in April of 2001. I mean, it's really too bad we didn't have Muckle here with his dissenting opinion, with his pro-ECW yeah. opinion, because I feel like we were kind well, I'm, of... I'm not anti-ECW. Yeah. It just wasn't my thing. I, I, I mean, I don't know if I necessarily agree with your assessment of like a, a net negative. I think ECW helped push pro wrestling to the, to just absolutely crazy heights um not that it was solely responsible but it forced wcw and wwe to go with a more reality-based product or or they saw what was happening there and said oh we we can have our stories and characters based more in in reality than cartoon land and and it brought the wrestling business to just tremendous heights and if you it's fine if you think the attitude era stunk but it's hard to argue the success of it i mean the success is just amazing. Uh, yeah. the, the money that they made. The uh, I mean, you're talking about an era where there were, two, I guess, two and a half major wrestling promotions in the United States. WCW and WWE were going around selling out 20,000-seat arenas for house shows, you know, and... <laughs> or, or, or Nitro was being done in front of 40,000. Yeah, and then ECW was going into smaller venues, 3,000-seat buildings, and they were selling those out. You know, so it's just it was a crazy time and ECW was was it was a big part of it so even if you think that era is crap like i don't know i mean i i don't know like it made a lot of money and it made 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 a lot of people a lot of money i mean you're talking about and and look at some of the guys that came from and got their starts in ECW that helped propel um you know these companies uh, just i mean i i think it had i i don't i don't agree with the net negative thing i mean obviously there's some some downside to abusing your body like that but WWE, you know, I, I don't think ECW is responsible for WWE continuing to make these guys do all these crazy things. They didn't have, you know, Paul Heyman didn't have a gun to Vince McMahon's head and say, hey, you know, make, make these guys keep doing these triple threat ladder matches and making the bumps bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger every year. You know, he didn't force them to do that. They stole what he was, do- what he was doing. Right. Well, we Well, we really. Well, we really. <laughs> I can't speak. Well, we we really want to hear. Well, 
<laughs> I'll just leave this in. Yeah, you okay over there? <laughs> <laughs> we, we really want to hear what you guys think out there when it comes to Speaking ECW. Speaking of drug use. <laughs> <laughs> you guys let us know. ECW, in the end, was it a positive thing for wrestling? Was it a negative thing for wrestling? We want to hear the dissenting opinion. We need you guys to let us know what was the net effect of ECW in the wrestling world. Tweet us at the WPAN on Twitter. Use the hashtag WPAN so we can find it easily. And we'll mention you and your tweets this Thursday on the BDA bonus episode on the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing podcast feed. But of course, the way you can interact with us right here on the NAI Network every week is through our voicemail line. And Brian, it is time to decide the winner of our voicemail contest. But before we get into that, Brian, let's talk about our sponsor. People ask me, what do you mean, BDARadio.com? What does the BDA stand for? Braun dominates ambulances? Oh, boy. Well, you saw it on Monday, Kingpin. Braun Strowman flipped over a damn ambulance containing Roman Reigns, and he sent the internet into a frenzy. Everyone's a Braun Strowman fan now. That's not true. You didn't see the petition going around to fire Braun Strowman? (laughs) I did see that. I did see. So there were some people who were not Braun Strowman fans, but the vast majority of people are all about the Strowman. That was unique, Brian. That was a unique thing that they did with the ambulance. Well, BDA Radio is the most unique commentary on mixed martial arts and pro wrestling on the internet. They don't break news. They break the news with their wild commentary regarding MMA and wrestling. Head over to BDARadio.com and check out all the latest news on UFC, Bellator, WWE, and much more. Braun! DARadio.com I don't don't think he says Braun when he yells. No? I think he's just growling. Why does he should say Braun though? That's his name. <laughs> you know, you're gonna say your name in your promo. You know this, Brian. This is yourself, promo right? 101. <laughs> exactly. All right, we want to hear from you out there, guys. Call 401-584-9726. That's the voicemail line. 401-584-WPAN to contribute to the wrestling podcast about nothing. Uh, Brian, we got two voicemails right here. In at the last minute before we announce our contest winner. All right, let's see if anybody can sway sway me here. So let's take a listen to the first of two voicemails. Well, three voicemails, actually. Hey, Crockett. Hey, Malonis. Hey, Kingpin. Hey, all of Kingpin's little buddies that decided to vote for the Kingpin in the North versus the South, and I stress little buddies. That's right, I said it. Well, I had to call for a couple of reasons. Yeah, you know who this is. One, I had to call because I really wanted to see if I could possibly win one of those beautiful curtain jerker t-shirts from Pro Wrestling Tees. And then I wanted to make Croc Socks feel very uncomfortable with this playing on the air with him and Malonis reacting to it. And then, um, what's the other one? Oh, I did want to say congratulations to Brian Malonis as he got to the second round and had a very good match against Josh Goodwoods, but unfortunately he fell short. Oh, one more reason. I've got to stay ahead of Brian Fury as the number of, I guess you can consider this an appearance on the wrestling podcast about nothing, right? 
So, uh, hey, Fury, how you doing, man? You're always welcome on Booking the Territory. Anytime, man. Been a long time. Been over a year since we talked. So get with me, man. I'd love to have you back on air. The show's starting to really get some traction and explode. Um, yeah, Malonis. So, hey, Malonis, I do want to know, what did you think about the Jim Cornette experience? You know, because you were a little... uh you you were a little salty with a backhanded compliment uh, about my appearance with Jim a couple weeks back. Yeah, I just I'm just curious. I hadn't heard from you since then, but anyway, I don't give a flying you know what that the North technically won. It was the incompetence of the Southern regime and the people who were uh, in corporate running the show. It had nothing to do with who was better or whatnot. The South was still a better. Uh, ran better wrestling, I should say. But anyway, you know, I just had to call the piss off the masses because I know everyone up there hates me. So there it is. Good luck. I do want to win a T-shirt, though. So boom. Catch y'all later. <laughs> there he is. For Booking the Territory, Mike Mills, well, of course. not going to win a T-shirt with that sort of attitude. <laughs> well, you never know, Brian. Maybe maybe he'll be my pick. I don't know. Oh, boy. Uh, Mike, so... let it go. Let it go, buddy. It's okay. You're in a safe place now. You're amongst friends. <laughs> of course, Brooklyn the Territory is wherever you get your podcasts. They do two podcasts a week on Sundays. It's the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Podcast. That's how they got the ear of Jim Cornette. And actually, Mike Mills was on the Jim Cornette Experience recently. And Thursdays, as we mentioned earlier, they do the Saturday 605 Old World Championship Wrestling Show. They review those every week. So... Check out Book in the Territory, every great podcast. And, of course, thank you, Mike, as always, for uh, your contributions here and your support of the wrestling podcast about nothing. Here's the next voicemail, Kingpin. What's up, Kingpin and Crocsocks? John Morse checking in, the bestie. Why is it that every picture I find of Todd Sinclair, he has a goofy expression on his face? It is my mission to find a good photo, and then maybe someone can win a date with Todd Sinclair. Why does Todd wow. Sinclair always have a goofy face? Is it because he has a goofy face? <laughs> he was face? born with it? <laughs> John Morse, my best friend. A tremendous voicemail. Really appreciate it, as always. That's a double whammy. He mentions that I won a date with Todd Sinclair, and he took a shot at Fat Pants as well. So that's a double win for you. <laughs> he's, uh, he's learning. He's learning very well what gets over with us here at the WPAN. Okay, our last voicemail. Brian, here we go. Steven from New Hampshire. Hey, guys. Uh, what's going on? It's Triple H, guys, 2004 um, on Twitter. Uh, just had a quick question for you guys. Um, just wanted to know if there was any talent from WCW that you thought during the Monday Night Wars that could have gone over to WWF to put it back in their favor during that 86-week drought that WWF went through, and vice versa, turn their question around that a talent from WWF could have gone over to WCW during that time. Who do you think would those then? And uh, remember, guys, when you go to WrestleMania, don't forget your ticket on your seat when you go get a drink of water because then you got to go get a hall pass to get back into WrestleMania. Did that this year at WrestleMania 33. Can't believe I did that. Don't ever do that, guys. See you guys later. Talk to you later. Peace. So he left his ticket on his seat and left the building <laughs> and couldn't get back into WrestleMania? Uh, what, I'm, what I'm guessing is he was probably in a in a uh, pro- probably in some decent seats and 
Oh. They, they have security guards who usually want to look at tickets before they let you back into those premium sort of areas. That's what I'm going to guess that, that gotcha. Stephen meant by that. But gotcha. Stevens is making the big bucks. Yeah, well, actually, I really enjoyed this voicemail. This is this is this is like a great a great question. So, which talent from WCW could have gone to the WWF in the middle of that uh, that drought of? I think it's might have been 84 weeks. I think I read that recently to help WWF get over the hump. I think Sting. I think without a question, Sting. I, it would have been interesting to see what WWE could have done with the with the Sting character and how he would have fit into the WWE landscape. And I think he's a guy who could have made a gigantic impact, uh, especially during that time. Uh, with the biggest reason being, maybe not the biggest. The biggest being his talent, obviously. But one of the biggest reasons being he was WCW to the core. Uh, had always been WCW. So had Sting jump ship at that point, it would have been monumental, I, th- I think. So that that would be my answer for a uh, WCW guy going north. How about you, Mike? What about, I know there was a time where Ric Flair and Eric Bischoff were at odds and Ric Flair was looking to get out of his contract. And what if Ric Flair at that time had gone to the WWF? I, I, I honestly feel like Rick, they had devalued Ric Flair so much. At that point, I, I don't know that during that era it would have made all that much of a difference, and that's not. I don't. I do not. Bl- that's not a shot at Ric Flair. I think at the at the last few years, Flair and WCW. I think they took a steaming dump on the biggest name in their in their promotions history. I, I think they just completely took a took a shit on on Flair, and I think at that point, I think he was so devalued that. I don't think it would have made a difference. I don't know. I just think, you know, you got a guy like Jericho went over. Jericho was a really low-card guy in WCW. They brought him over and gave him the pomp and circumstance. I think Ric Flair going over there and probably cutting a promo on Bischoff and what's going on in WCW would have I mean, definitely gotten the attention that week. And if they put him in a program with like a Stone Cold or, you know, Triple H put him, put him against DX, I thought that would have turned something around, I think. Hmm. Interesting. I don't I, I'm not buying it still, Mike. (laughs) On the flip side of it, I think the guy who could have gone the other way, if he had gone the other way and and turned it around for WCW, is the guy I think is The Rock. I I think, could you have imagined uh, the Monday Night Wars uh, where Austin was the face of WWE and The Rock would have been the face of WCW or something like that? It was like a true kind of uh, war between the two of them. I I think The Rock is the guy uh, who could have gone the other way and, and, and helped WCW immensely. Although, as incompetent as they, as they were, uh, Dwayne Johnson would probably be uh, out of the business and uh, like teaching eighth grade math or something at this point <laughs> had he gone to WCW. <laughs> That's a really good point. Um, okay, Brian, it is time to pick a winner you in do, the you contest. Do, you do that on a daily basis, Mike, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> it is time to decide who is the man. Who's the one who gets the Curtain Jerker W-P-A-N t-shirt? Who's your pick? Oh, this is tough. Uh, St- Steven just made it tough. I thought I had my mind made up, and Steven just made it tough because I think that was a really good voicemail, a really good question. So that's going to be my pick, Mike. Longtime listener, one of the number one fans of the W-P-A-N, Steven. That is my pick. Steven's voicemail. I thought it was a great thought-provoking question. I, I think it's a subject that I, 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 could have talk, I could talk on for, for an hour alone. So Steven is my pick uh, to win the t-shirt. 
Wow, you just threw me a curveball because I thought we were going to come to a nice consensus. It'd be nice if you'd agree for once on something. And then we'd uh, you know, just hand out the t-shirt to Randall Keel because that's my pick. Randall Keel. He had oh, that uh, nice story last week or the week before. <laughs> let's, let's play that one right now, actually. Let's play the Randall's because it was actually on the Thursday show. We actually played it. So it hasn't been played on the NAI network yet. So let's play Randall's voicemail. Hey guys, it's Randall at Randall Keo on Twitter. I got a story. When I was waiting for Chaotic Wrestling to start one day in Bluebird, I was behind an elderly gentleman with a kid, and I said to him, he asked me if the show was good. I said, yeah. I said, except when they host the Cub Scouts, because usually they take up one side of the uh, of the building. I said, is this your first time? The guy looks at me, he goes, yeah, we're with the Cub Scouts. All I could think to myself was, shit, there's still 45 minutes before the show starts, and i got to stand in line with this guy. Hope you guys have a good one, and uh, keep up the great work. Bye. I mean, it's a funny story. You yeah, liked well, it. I did. It, it, to me, it, it just, Stephen eked it out a little bit because it was a thought-provoking uh, question, but I did enjoy the story by by Randall. Okay, so how are we going to decide this? We need some sort of tiebreaker, Brian. Um, what can, oh, hey. Who, what do you know, Brian? He's here. What do you know? <laughs> did he come with you? No, he was in the bathroom. I don't know what's going on in there, but Scotty Slade. Light a match. <laughs> From the inside perspective, joins us once again. I don't know if he's still in the inside perspective. They haven't had a show in a month and a half, but Scotty Slade, I guess he's uh, he's moving in with us now. He's going to be a part of the WPN, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, welcome, Scotty. Uh, you know, what, what are you doing at my house? Yeah, I know. We can we can see we we uh, there's uh, odor in the air. <laughs> you, see, you see the green <laughs> mist coming coming from the bathroom. <laughs> All right, so Scotty, here we go. Okay, you're you're gonna be the guy. You're gonna be the one to find out who gets the t-shirt. Brian says Stevens thought provoking question about a WWF guy jumping to WCW and vice versa. I say Randall's story about the Cub Scouts coming to Chaotic Wrestling, Scotty. Is it Steven? Is it Randall? Mike, can you put a, can you put a drum roll in on post? I, I will certainly do that. <laughs> All right. Here we go, Scotty. Which one is the winner? All right. There it is. That's right. the final word. There it is. Okay, That's, Scotty. You know what? We're going to live by that. That's the... Uh Final word. We agreed uh, that's the final word. So Yes, so contact us out there at the WPAN on Twitter. You will get your Curtain Jerker t-shirt courtesy of ProWrestlingTees.com slash New Age Insiders. Uh, Scotty, I guess, head back in the bathroom until we're done and wrapped up here. <laughs> and thank you very much, everyone, participating in the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing's voicemail contest. And, of course, continue to call the voicemail line 401-584-9726. That's 401-584-WPAN. And, of course, our brand-new Curtain Jerker WPAN t-shirt is still available on ProWrestlingTees.com. Okay, Brian, time for the promo about nothing. It was 1987. The World Wrestling Federation. For over 50 years, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment. Thank you. We talked about this gentleman... These two gentlemen, a few weeks back on the Thursday podcast, on the BDA Bonus Podcast. Ooh. So let's hear from both of them now. 
they are standing by with our colleague, Mean Gene Okerlund. <laughs> yeah, he is really becoming our colleague of the WPAM. <laughs> Sir Oliver Humperdinck. Oh. And Bam Bam Bigelow. Here we go. On December the 26th, our annual holiday spectacular at the Buffalo Auditorium. They're talking about this one not only in Buffalo, Oliver Humperdinck, but all over the wrestling world. Bam Bam Bigelow to meet King Kong Bundy, Andre the Giant in Bundy's Corner. Two immovable objects and irresistible forces colliding in Buffalo, and I love it. The day after Christmas, December 26th, Bam Bam Bigelow to face King Kong Bundy. Heenan, I want, hey, I want you to know one thing for sure, Heenan. I know Andre the Giant's going to be in the corner that night, right? That's correct. And he's going to try to cause me problems. Well, I'm going to bring a problem for you, too, pal. It's called Bam Bam Bigelow. Take a look at this problem that you're going to have, Bundy. Look at Bundy here. Look at Bundy. Look All at right. Bundy up here. Look at this. Look at Bundy. What the Look at Bundy. Hey, wait a minute. Right there. What, what, what is, what are you just doing here? you got to be kidding me, Bam Bam. Those are those new stretch wrestlers. You know, I'm tired. Everywhere I go, I bam, bam, when you going to wrestle Bundy, when you going to wrestle Bundy, well, this is it, I'm going to wrestle you, Bundy, and I'm going to beat you one, two, three in the center of the ring like you was a piece of chopped meat. Chopped liver. I like that. I'd like to see the VU meter on that. We hit the decibels there. Bent that puppy over pretty good. I thank you. Bam Bam going against King Kong Bundy here in Buffalo. Andre the Giant in Bundy's quarter on Saturday, December the 26th, Buffalo Auditorium. Well, Brian, uh, we know where you got your idea for your uh, T-shirt for your whole catchphrase. That's not true. Was it from that promo? The immovable <laughs> objects, the irresistible forces... Then they, you ripped it off and you put a t-shirt on whatamaneuver.net. <laughs> no, I ripped it off from WrestleMania 3. <laughs> oh, is that what it was? <laughs> yeah, uh, Gorilla Monsoon calls Andre the Giant Hulk Hogan the irresistible force and the immovable object. Well, but the, but this one, he said they're both the irres- immovable objects and irresistible forces. Oh, boy. Yeah, so... Uh, I, I, so I, 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 this, this kind of leads to like a little story. Ironically, so I had some of the stretch wrestlers. And I had a King Kong Bundy stretch wrestler, and my dog ate it, much like Bam Bam just <laughs> bit the head off of. Yeah, if you're not, if you haven't seen the video, uh, half of uh, Bam Bam's promo was him ripping, uh, pulling apart a stretch wrestler, and he actually bit the head off of the King Kong Bundy stretch wrestler. Yeah, so much like much like my dog. <laughs> <laughs> so the Bam Bam and your dog was your dog named Bam Bam, by the way. Uh, Jesus, I don't even remember what the stupid dog's name was at that point <laughs> is that bad yeah, i think <laughs> I it like, is i was like six years old like, you're uh, supposed to remember your first pet yeller maybe i think i think we called it yeller was um, it yeah was it yella it was like a little like uh i don't know like a beagle or whatever well he hit by a car <laughs> well not it wasn't so it wasn't bam bam no no it wasn't right. bam bam well bam bam is going to uh beat you up like you're a piece of chopped meat Meat, which I don't think is a phrase. I mean, there's chop liver. There's chop liver, which Gene said, but that's kind of like chop liver is like when you overlook somebody. What am I, chop liver? How about, how about the subtle, uh, the subtle jab that me and Gene took with? Oh, I think we got our decibels there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, chop meat. I, I know in wrestling when you say you, it's you're chopping meat. That's just like you're like chopping the guy in in a match, right? Is that? Just going in there and chopping meat. Yeah, essentially. You're just kind of pounding on each other. Basically. But <laughs> what, however Bam Bam used it, let's just say it's wrong. <laughs> he wasn't a, a tremendous promo. 
Uh, this, that that much is obvious. Well, they brought in Sir Oliver Humperdinck for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and Humperdinck, he, he calls Gene Heenan. He looks at he looks at Mean Gene and says Heenan, and then turns and says Oh Heenan. Uh, so yeah, beating someone up like chopped meat. There's really no precedence for that, Brian. There's no precedence, baby. It's without precedence. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Bam Bam, Sir Oliver Humperdinck, a match made in heaven, but not when it comes to promos. You heard this promo about nothing. If you want the full picture, find the link to the video in the description of this episode on the NAI network. And we say it all the time, Brian, we're low on time, but you are hitting the highways and byways, crisscrossing this great nation of ours, plying your trade as a professional wrestler. And do you got those dates? Oh, I do, Mike. And I got a busy rest of the month here in April. Uh, This Wednesday night, I'm heading back to Malden for UFO Wrestling, defending that UFO Heavyweight Championship against Slick Wagner Brown. Wednesday night. Yes, Wednesday night. It's April vacation. Bring the kiddies out. Family fun entertainment. You know, the show definitely geared towards family. So come on out. Find UFO Wrestling on uh, on Facebook. Uh, there will be no effing of mothers no, this Wednesday night. No, there will not okay. be. I will just be beating the snot out of Slick Wagner Brown and retaining my championship. So, yeah, come on out this Wednesday night. Uh, Then Saturday night in Bridgewater, Massachusetts, Top Row Promotions. I will be on a big event that's going to feature the Boogeyman and Road Warrior animal okay (laughs) wow call back to a previous episode yes uh but that's that's going to be this saturday night in bridgewater check out top promotions on facebook and also search brownpapertickets.com for your tickets to that great event next week mike busy 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 weekend friday night lawrence massachusetts i will be returning to chaotic wrestling followed by saturday night Back to Top Rope Promotions in Wareham, Massachusetts. And then Sunday, Beyond Wrestling at the Aurora Providence. Busy weekend, busy schedule. Look up these companies on Facebook and Twitter. Buy some tickets. Come see the Kingpin. And hey, buy a t-shirt, buy an 8x10. Come tell me what you think of the podcast. I love to interact with the fans at shows. I'm out there before shows, uh, during intermission, usually after shows as well. So come chat me up. Let me know what you think of the podcast. I love feedback. And buy a t-shirt and 8x10. Let's get a picture. There you go. And we'll get more in-depth on those shows coming uh, next weekend on next week's podcast. Of course, you can email Brian Malonis at Comcast.net for bookings. And he is on the Twitter at Brian Malonis. You can DM him there. Okay, Brian, we got to get out of here. Of course, stay with us all week here on the NAI Network. Listen to DC and Doc Talk, The Pipe Bomb with McCool and Company, Rant with Ant, Late Night Liam, Indie Pop, and... I mean, eventually, maybe the inside perspective with our buddy in the bathroom, Scotty <laughs> Slade. We are back on Thursday for the WPAN BDA bonus podcast. Search WPAN on your favorite podcatcher or go to BDARadio.com for more on that. Then join us next Monday in one week here on the New Age Insiders Network for episode 53 of the WPAN. Until then, he is the Kingpin Brian Malonis. I'm Mike Crockett. Big ups to Mucko, and thanks for nothing.